hello. Uh, welcome to Pod Rocket. I'm Noel. Uh, with me today is Tejas Kumar. Um, he is the Director of Developer Relations at Sada, uh, keynote speaker, angel investor, YouTuber, a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and we'll try to we'll try to cover as much of that as we can. Um, how are you doing today, Tejas? I'm doing I'm doing fantastic. I love it. I'm uh, happy to be here and chat about all the things we're going to talk about and just have a good time. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. So again, I, I kind of just like to turn the turn the floor over to to our guests when they're on um, to kind of tell us about themselves and their background and how they got to where they are now. Um, like, how do you how do you find yourself uh, as a developer relations professional? That's a great question. Um, I didn't actually start as a as a devrel person, so I started as um, a front end developer just because I was so fascinated by like, whoa, I just write HTML and open it in a browser and I see stuff, right? Um, that feedback loop, that, that is the magic, just like having this, this rapid feedback loop. Um, and spent many years kind of working as a front-end engineer, um, you know, really got to appreciate like the complexity there, which is, which is so unique because you work on systems that are way outside your control, you know, like different browsers, different network conditions, different all kinds of things, different people with like color blindness and, and so many variables. Um, and so I did that for a couple of years, a few years. And um, eventually, like I kept coming back to the same frustration, which is I'm blocked and it's because the backend is not ready. You know, and, and um, the, there, there was a lot of times where I was like just waiting on backend stuff. And I thought, you know what, let's just pivot and, and become a backend engineer to see what the, the delay is about. Um, and, and did that for a few years, mostly with like Node.js backends and, and Postgres databases and stuff. Um, and, you know, I got to appreciate that like the backend is something it's really important to get right uh, from a security and privacy standpoint, but it has way less variables than like front end. Like you control the machines, you control, or at least your ops team will control like the infrastructure and stuff. So it's, it's way more controlled, um, which I appreciate a lot over the front end world. Um, and then from there moved to the, the infrastructure side. So things like Kubernetes and AWS and stuff like that, um, did that for like a couple of years. Um, and then, you know, at, at some point, so my last thing before DevRel was I was working at Spotify, um, kind of just as a general software engineer across the whole stack. And we were working on like deploying a database with high availability and, and failover. Like if, if, if US East is down, like some other region needs to pick up the slack, this kind of thing. Um, and then one day I randomly found a DM uh, from the founder of Zada, where I work right now. Um, and she said, hey, I have this like young company. Uh, we're like six people. Do you want to join us as DevRel? Um, and I said, yeah, let's do it. Uh, and it, like in the interview, she made a really good point. She was like, she was like, we could hire you to do engineering. We could hire a lot of engineers, but what we haven't found is like someone who speaks about stuff like you. That that is unique. Like there's no one else we could hire. So like she she and and, and the CTO said to me, they were like, I think you'd be well suited to DevRel in this company. Um, and I was like, wow, okay, no one's ever said that. Awesome, <laughs> Let, let's do it. And so that's kind of how I ended up um, doing DevRel as my full time thing. Nice. So were those were the were the like ex existing channels that they found were those like your YouTube videos and 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 that content or where where were you kind of filling this uh, you know niche before? Yeah, it was definitely not YouTube content. I still like I do YouTube stuff like almost irregularly, um, just because like hardware is hard to set up and tear down and lights and cameras and all this you know. Um, but what I what I love doing what I've loved doing since two thousand nine 
um, was just speaking at, at events. Like a, a lot of people are afraid of like public speaking. Um, I enjoy it. Um, and also I've been writing code for a very long time. So like I'll speak and I'll do some coding and stuff on stage to show people, you know, things that I think are cool. Um, and I've been doing that a lot, especially before the apocalypse, you know, um, lots of, lots of public speaking. Nice. That's kind of a good segue um, into a recent talk you have done or are about to begin. I'm not sure which it is, but uh, one that you were kind of wanting to talk to us about. What is that? What is that topic? Yeah, that's uh, at Belgium JS. Uh, there's a, that's an upcoming conference this week. I'm, I'm talking oh, nice. about perfect. I'm talking about the next evolution of, of data infrastructure for JavaScript developers. Yeah. Gotcha. What is that? What is the next evolution? That's, that's a good question. I, I think the yeah. next evolution is is to to reduce data infrastructure to a serverless API. I think ser the short answer is serverless. I think that's you know it's it's been taking the world by storm with things like Jamstack and functions and like Cloudflare just today uh, announced open sourcing their workers runtime, which is another serverless offering. So like I think that's definitely the next evolution. It used to be like we'd have servers that we'd provision and scale as we need, um, even at the database level, even at the data infrastructure level. And I think slowly everything's just moving to someone else manage this for me so I can build my thing. Right. Yeah, I feel like um, there, there's kind of a few players in that space. Like we've been, we've been creeping this way a little bit, right? Like we have like very managed SQL or whatever, like relational databases that the cloud host will set up for you. And then you can just like plug that connector in. And then we have like the um, like the fire stores and things like attached to the suites that I can just like write data to and get data from. Do you, do you feel like we're kind of on this path already or do you think we're about to hit an inflection point where it's really going to take off even more? I think, as you said, we've been, we've been kind of like, we've been moving towards it like LA traffic, you know, like, like slowly. Um, I don't know if we'll hit an inflection point or if we're actually in the middle of the inflection point, to be fair, but but I do think the degree of how much control we're willing to give away in, in exchange for convenience, that is growing rapidly. Um, because like a lot of the players in this field, even they'll give you like a hosted database, but you will still have to usually like connect to it and then build an API into it, for example. And I think we're going to see more of people saying, you know what, if, if, if you give me an API, I'm more than comfortable like having you deal with my authentication and all of the API things as well in exchange for convenience and money. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so yeah, I'm trying to, trying to think where... Um, so, so when we talk about, like, authentication and, and, and things that are not just, like, read... The, 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 sim, the simple case of, like, reading and writing data, it's like, sure, well, it's not that interesting if, like, there's nothing else we're doing around it. The hard part of the database is, like, controlling access. Like, who gets access to what? How do we figure out who can read what and, you know, make that timely? How, how, do, we, how do we solve those problems, you know, in an environment like the front end where a dev doesn't want to like go through that overhead of setting up like the things that were necessitated to be on the back end before. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's exactly the, 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 the evolution I'm talking about is like, it, let's imagine if you wanted to do that today, right? I've, I've, I know so many companies that are doing this, exactly this, like, like access control and authorization at the database level. They're doing it so differently. Like there's a company called Guild um, brand new company. And what they're doing is they're using, they're using Postgres to, um, like control all of that. Like Postgres has first class support for authorization, um, using SQL. So they're just like straight on the database. And then there's another company, 
I don't know if I'm allowed to even share, but whatever. There's another company called Relay, Replay rather, Replay.io. Great company. And what they're doing is they're doing access control at the resolver level. So they've got a GraphQL API into something. And so the, the resolver essentially looks like if cookie has permission, then forward to the database, else like, you know, 401. So this is this is something that I feel like could be standardized almost by virtue of having a serverless provider be like, look, we'll handle that. Send us a header and then we'll do the rest. Um, I think teams are tired of figuring this stuff out themselves, especially front-end teams. Yeah, agreed. And I, and I feel like it's also interesting because it's kind of, it's one of those problems that has always felt to me like, and we're all doing a lot of work on the same thing here. Like we're all resolving this every single time we do it. It feels like this shouldn't be that hard to abstract. So I, I feel like we're getting there. What do you think is, what do you think is different now? Like why, why has it taken this long for us to get to kind of uh, services or um, architectures or even just technology that empowers us to do this? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think we're, I think we're kind of, you know, sussing out things that are in demand based on past experience. Like back in the day, I'm sure you're familiar with this, like like just the simple act of deploying a static site was super hard um, or at least harder than it needed to be. You need to have some type of like S3 account and then you'd have to orchestrate it yourself. You need to like in Jenkins or something, when you get pushed to a repo, you would you would build that static site and then push that static site to S3. You'd have to manage all that yourself. And now we have things like Netlify over the past few years where you like drag and drop your static site into some drop zone on a front end and boom, it's deployed. And not only is it deployed, if it's a Git repo, you'll get like deploy previews on each PR. So you can like preview your front end. That's new. And so I think how we find ourselves where we are today is, you know, we've solved the front end deployment problem. We've solved the, you know, sort of functions API deployment problem with things like Cloudflare workers and Netlify functions. So we've been solving a lot of problems across the stack, starting at the front end, and now we've made our way, right, all the way to the database. So I think it's just a matter of like pulling on a thread. And so now we're in the in the database part of this thread we're pulling on until we solve that too. But I like what you said earlier. It's We've solved these problems multiple times in our careers at multiple different companies. Um, and at some point we, we have to have this like zero one end thinking you know, of engineering, where like, if we do something more than one time, it's a generally a good idea to have this like be a reusable function that we can unit test. And I think the serverless offerings are exactly that. Like there's teams that are, it's their whole time, full time job to like, make database infrastructure awesome. So that if you're a new startup, you don't have to worry about that. I think that's that's where it's leading. So I wouldn't be surprised if like after the database portion of the thread we're pulling, we move on to something else. Maybe we make like Kubernetes or something really easy for people to to use. Gotcha, gotcha. So I, I feel like kind of the the existing offerings, at least the stuff that I played with, like it, 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 it wouldn't be that much of a jump for a, um, like a NoSQL developer to be like, oh, okay, whatever. I can use this like database as a service and write like JSON-like data to it and get it back from it and that's fine. But to those developers that they're like, you know, much more in the like relational database mindset, they like spent their careers working on like, um, like normalizing data and getting like effective indexes on keys to make it so we can query certain rows really fast when we have 10 million rows in this database when we're reading a million of them every two minutes. Like what, how, how do we, how do we ensure that those people are kind of brought along as well when, as we're trying to push towards these like kind of, you know, data storage as a service? Yeah, that's, I mean, 
I, let me be really clear. I think SQL or relational databases are not going away ever. I, I was going to say anytime soon, but ever. Like, because, look, there's a lot of value to be had with, with NoSQL or, you know, non-relational databases, particularly around, like, horizontal scale and geographic distribution and replicate. That whole story is effectively solved with, with NoSQL solutions. But there's a great cost to that, right? Like, you lose... You lose normalization. You lose a comfort, like you lose the standard query language, even that that so many people love. In favor of what? Like you need to know a programming language to glue your unrelational stuff together in your application. So there's trade-offs, and I think SQL is. Oh, this is going to be controversial, but I think SQL in, in so many ways is superior, barring the scale story, the distribution story. Um, so I think really that the future. Or the the ideal um, is you you give people like a relational model, but you you just handle the scale side of things, um, and then you get the best of both worlds. You you get the problems that NoSQL solves, but also the joins and the normalization that people are used to, um, while still offering like regional failover and and horizontal scalability and all of that as a service. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense to me. I feel like I. Uh... Um, yeah, it, it's much it's much more difficult to get you yourself into like an irrecoverable, you know, data architecture or something if you're using a relational yeah. database. Like there's just better rails in place, and you can like. And also the whole thing about asset guarantees, which you just don't get with NoSQL. You haven't your 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 transactions are not atomic. You don't get consistency, right? Like there's yeah there's a whole area where where you, NoSQL is just not a good choice. Like I I would probably use it for you know, a like button use case where you click a like button and you don't really care if it has 1K or 2K. You just support right. that it's like. But if I'm doing a bank mm -hmm. or something, there is no chance of me using NoSQL for, for areas where data is important, um, mainly because of ACID. Yeah. So. Yeah, right, right. I guess, yeah, it, it, in, in that realm, I feel like that's, that's kind of, it's an interesting topic because I feel... I feel that's the, the, the decision there of like, what, what does my application care about? Do I care about like absolute data accuracy or like high availability and speed and like replications and having that? And that's kind of always informed, I guess, um, the engineers that are focused on those problems have used those those decision points to, to figure out what they want to use. Or like, what do I want to use for a data store? What like those, the answers yeah. to those questions are what inform my yeah. decision. So how do we now that we're kind of moving, or I guess if, if, if our... Um, you know, theory is correct that developers are going to keep pushing towards like data as a service. How do we make sure that those um, we have answers for all those kinds of questions? Because I can't imagine technically where you're going to be able to have like the perfect solution for all of those yeah. use cases across the board in any yeah. and, um, product or configuration. Right. And I think that's why there's so many players in the space, too, because there's companies like like FaunaDB, for example, um, who give you NoSQL, but with ACID. That's their whole thing. Um but then, you know, you have to ask yourself the question, okay, that's great, but do I still want the, the ambiguity of NoSQL? Do I still want to stitch stuff together in my, in my application logic? Um, versus there's other companies like, I can't think of names right now, but there's other companies that give you the opposite. They give you like hosted SQL and they handle scale, uh, planet scale, great example. Um, but yeah, I think to cover most of the use, you know what I would love? Here's, here's my, my dream, right? A, a multi-model serverless database um, where you can just throw data at it, structured, unstructured, doesn't matter, um, and it just works. And the reason why this is my dream is because, because then, like, if I have 10 months to build, like, a, a Tinder clone or something, 
I don't spend three of them like trying to figure out, oh shit, what do I do with the data? Um, and I think that's so valuable, especially for companies like that are early or maybe with a small runway or even older companies that are running out of runway, like the less time you spend on essentially a solved problem, the better. So like here, here's, here's something that would be fantastic is like this dream database that I have in mind, right? Where you just throw data at it and it just works. What do I mean by just works? I mean, like even something as simple as a little switch element in the UI, where on one side you have eventually consistent and on the other side you have immediately consistent. You just flick this thing and, and that determines where you land on the cap theorem, right? Do you, do you get consistency or availability? Like some, and that's essentially what I'm talking about, like a serverless database for developers that gives them the choice um, and it's a, it feels like at the flick of a button. There's, there's honestly, outside of one company, there's no company that I know that is focusing on like developer experience, but for databases, like the, like the Vercel style um, developer experience, but like for databases, maybe Vercel will start doing databases. Who knows? Yeah. 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 They'll, they'll design with that perspective. Do, do you think, do you think that like, that that is, is tenable, I guess, like having, having, having my, my, my intuition is that there is like, there's there's more to that decision or more, more to how an application needs to function than flipping that switch like i would i would assume that the way the the way even the front end behaves is going to be beholden to what it knows about the state of the database like how it works like i do i when i'm when i'm sending up a a new read or write operation i care about like is this an eventually consistent database or do i know that my current value is right before i write it and i feel like often that knowledge has to is like going down all the way to the what was formerly the API layer, but now in like serverless world, now it's either on the front end or like in a function or something. Do you think that it's possible to kind of write that logic in the front end or in like a serverless function without having to think about what setting is toggled, for example, like using your example in the in the UI for the database um, on consistency? I love I love that you brought that up because now I'm thinking and by the way it's my job to think about developer experience right so now I'm thinking absolutely what if um, you know a lot of these these databases will just give you an API right and some of them don't even give you like direct access to the database so you have no chance of executing a SQL statement or something um, so what if instead of the switch in the UI what if the switch was a header you could send when you do a transaction on the database oh my God can you imagine like you you fetch to get data, but you add this header like X mode, consistency or availability. Ooh, wow. And then you just, your apps can actually control that. Damn. So that's what I'm talking about. Like this type of developer experience doesn't exist, but I want it. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, yeah. It'd be super cool. Like in your front end, you're like, you know, whatever. My DB, like here's the data I want to write. And just like, there's an options param I send in there. And in that I can tell it like how I want this operation to perform. If I need to always make sure I have the latest... Yeah, write it, write it, or or even read it. Read this with um, immediate consistency, so it'll take a bit longer. Um, or read it with eventual, or even write it with with immediate or or eventual. If like if you write it with the setting for immediate consistency, then what's going to happen is on the backend side, in a distributed environment, your you know your primary will get the write, um, but not committed until all the replicas commit, and then the you know so there is some time you'd lose, but that's effectively opt in from user land. Holy smokes. I, I I really want that. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. If you ever guys, guys, yeah. If you ever find yourself implementing it or on a team, you got to call call back to the Log Rocket podcast. Like this is where it all started. Hey, this is Emily, one of the producers for Pod Rocket. 
I'm so glad you're enjoying this episode. You probably hear this from lots of other podcasts, but we really do appreciate our listeners. Without you, there would be no podcast. And because of that, it would really help if you could follow us on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to bring you conversations with great devs like Evan Yu and Rich Harris. In return, we'll send you some awesome PodRocket stickers. So check out the show notes on this episode and follow the link to claim your stickers as a small thanks for following us on Apple Podcasts. All right, back to the show. In this talk, were, were you going to focus at all on how how this kind of thinking thinking about data like this um, affects how these kind of serverless apps are architected or how, how devs are creating their their new architectures. Yeah, I, I was actually considering touching on that. But like the conference is, is BEJS, Belgium JS. So for me, it's super important yeah. to have a strong appeal to the audience, which, which in this case, it's in the name, right? The JavaScript developers. So in preparing for this right. talk and kind of, you know, spoilers, I'm giving you a bit of the outline is, um, is to come at it as a JavaScript developer myself um, and, and kind of realize most JavaScript developers, especially if you're doing a like a high velocity job, like you you don't get that much time to think about it. Like the general feeling on your team is, okay, I push this, this web view, this landing page, this whatever, and then there's a there's an entire backend team to to take care of that. And as a result, most JavaScript developers, especially front-end developers, would would have decisions to make. What do I I need a database maybe for local testing or something? What do I do? Do I use SQLite? Why should I use SQLite instead of Postgres? Why should I use Postgres instead of Mongo? Like, I feel for a lot of front-end developers, and this is from even talking to people at conferences, like, there's just some type of Wild West confusion. Um, and, and with that, I think more importantly comes imposter syndrome among front-end developers. And this is not helped by the former kind of outgoing school of thought that, oh, JavaScript developers don't know anything. They just, you know, push pixels, right? That's, that's how it used to be when I was starting out. Um, and so with that comes a lot of like imposter syndrome and so on. And so the goal of my talk is to just eliminate that and give the JavaScript developers working on the front end or even in functions, just more insight into how data has worked so far and, and the next evolution of, of data infrastructure as well. Gotcha. Yeah, that, that's that's interesting. So do you feel that this kind of, you know, the this old, old mindset of like, oh, you know, JavaScript developers are just solving simple problems on the front end. Do you think that that is um, untrue more so now because they are dealing with the scalability problems directly on on the front end? I don't think it's more untrue now because like even if you go back to jQuery days or even MooTools days, like way before, right? Like there's always been like the browser wars are a thing um, and you cannot ignore it. So like maybe the developers who are, making web pages to work on just one browser at one screen resolution and one internet speed. Maybe that's saying, you know, hey, th there's not a lot of complexity there. But as far as I can recall, that's never been the case. Like there's always been a requirement to fulfill major browsers, um, sometimes even unreasonably back to like IE 11 or something, IE 10. Um, but then there's also the network constraints. There's the visual impairments constraints. There's the, you know, there's so many constraints. I don't think that statement has ever been true. Um, I, I'd even question, like, maybe the backend is oversimplified because we control all of the systems. Um, you know, like, there's there's fewer variables I, I can see there. Yeah, yeah. The back, it feels like a much more controlled 
the back end feels like a much more controlled system. And yeah, just for for clarity, I, I wasn't I wasn't um, implying that it ever was true. I was just I, I feel that that perception is starting to shift. So I'm, I was kind of getting at like what what do you think is causing that change in perception? Do you think it is just there's more empathy in the developer space in general, or it's like there is other there are like scalability concerns and stuff that are being pushed to the front end. So the back end engineers are like, eh, this is a hard problem. Yeah, no, I, th- I think I think the the I think really it's just a community effort. Like speaking frankly, like full disclosure, um, I've I've been a part of so many conferences since like 2018, 2017. And um, in the beginning, even there were some talks about, you know, the difficulties of being a front end engineer. Um, and I would watch back end engineers in these talks, literally just get up and leave. Like, oh, come on, you don't know anything. Um, that was the early days. Um, but I, I've watched community events over time. And, and yeah, I think it's largely just community engagement where, where they highlight, here's actually, like, for example, if somebody was to work at Spotify, right, there, there would be a talk about, here's all the problems we had to solve to get this player to work right on across multiple front-end platforms, Apple Watch, TV, web browser. Um, and then people were like, oh, my goodness, I had no idea. I think it's just an ignorance thing. I think if you don't know the constraints, you'll always oversimplify. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I think that I think that that's true. Um, but anyway, I think yeah, it, it's good that that empathy is building, and I think it's also cool. Yeah, and I think that's how we build empathy. Even is is education because the people who you know JavaScript developers don't know anything. They just didn't know. Um, could they have done the work to find out? Sure, uh, but I don't personally. I don't think that way. Like I, nine out of ten times, it's easier to just say they don't know anything instead of like, go check for myself. Um, it doesn't make it right, but it is the natural, easier tendency. So I can kind of understand the other side of, from those days, but I'm, I'm generally glad education is doing its job uh, and leading to empathy. Yeah. Like, like another example is a lot of people, I feel like, you know, have major problems with downtime. Um, and GitHub has had, unfortunately, a really bad quarter right like just incidents left and right and sometimes like when github's down people can't work so we've had people just say yeah github's down i'm done for today goodbye um and that's super valid because what are you going to do um engineers especially so i feel like back in the day again like as i was starting out there was always like hatred oh these ops people are so incompetent fire them all um but lately as incidents have happened i've seen a hashtag trending that i think is so beautiful is hashtag hug ops Right, or you still give your office people a hug because they're under fire. I think, yeah, I'm seeing this shift in the tech industry, and I freaking love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. Do, do you think that any of that? This is just kind of an interesting aside. Any of that that you know, old old the front end engineers aren't aren't solving tricky problems. Do you think any of that was kind of stemmed from that? You know, blame the ops people, like kind of anger. Like they're like, ah, if I, you know, the, the backend engineers, if I fail, I bring the site down every, like it takes us a while to recover. Things are hard. If the front end engineer pushes a bug, we can like, you know, send out a rollback and fix it and it's fine. Do you think that that, that kind of negative energy that was always directed towards the ops people yeah. kind of led to that, that yeah. chip on yeah, your shoulder? Sure. And I think also unmediated and uneducated, we're all super helpless. Like if it wasn't for the community, I'd be, I'd be the same. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I, I really cannot give enough credit to the community mm-hmm. around helping us be better people. Um, yeah. So, yeah. 
Cool. Nice. Nice. Well, let's let's bring this back in and talk about like JavaScript a little bit more. Um, yeah. So so we, like you, you talked. Um, I guess yeah. You you kind of started us off saying or talking about how this conference was really focused at JavaScript developers. Um, do you think that the uh, kind of the, the JavaScript JavaScript engineers have spent less time kind of thinking about uh, like database architecture and stuff than like the backend engineers? Yeah, have sure. Because especially like with the advent of of Jamstack, um, I, I think mm -hmm. everything's an API, JavaScript APIs and markup, right? So I think JavaScript developers spend a lot of time thinking about APIs, yeah. but where those APIs lead to, like an API effectively is like a pipeline to yeah. a backend system. So I think, yeah, they don't have as mm -hmm. much exposure. And before the Jamstack, um, the expectation, yeah. at least in my career, like 2015-ish, was, you know, hey, make this landing page look like this Figma. Um, and here's a few APIs you can call. Good luck, right? So, yeah, front-end hasn't been as involved, I would say. And then, you know, you get Node.js. Um, and even that, I feel like, hasn't been as closely involved. Like, at best, you'd get GraphQL that resolves to some uh, database connection. But, yeah, generally, I feel like the space is young. Um, I think a big help there was, was a company called Hasura. Um, that kind of helped Kasura and also Apollo GraphQL with Apollo Server. I think these two companies really help helped front end engineers move more towards back end stuff, including the whole GraphQL spec as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like kind of Apollo, this is going to be a weird analogy, but I feel like Apollo kind of got like JavaScript and Node developers thinking about data in, in the way that like back end engineers that had always had yeah. like an ORM to lean on like kind of to help, to help them inform how to make a database. It's like, oh, well, I've got this object relational model kind of tell, like having opinion an opinion about how I do things and that opinion often would help you get like, you know, to yeah. a, a functioning end state. And I feel like Apollo kind of, you know, observed as those guardrails as well. Definitely. And also um, the, the hype of the GraphQL. As it, GraphQL was advertised as like a front end thing. Um, I think from Facebook, like ultimately it's just a specification, right? But when it, when it came out, this whole notion of, oh, you can just do one round trip to a server and back instead of multiple, that, that was a front-end optimization. So it was like in this, almost like this demilitarized zone between front-end and back-end that it just kind of came into. Um, and I think that was for sure a segue for a lot of people, myself included, um, to, to that world. Yeah, so I guess, I guess kind of that, that notwithstanding... What like um, wh where do you point front end devs who are kind of now due due to these uh, changes that we've been talking about in the industry where like you kind of have this database as a service it's much easier to use it from the front end directly but you have to make those architecture decisions without necessarily building like an API or a back end like how do you instruct JavaScript developer how do you, you know how do you tell them where to look to be guided on how to do that properly Yeah that's that's a good question um, personally what I tell people is to uh, build stuff that this is also how this is but, but i don't <laughs> yeah. mean like build a yeah. company i mean like take a weekend or a, you know sometime you have off and and ask the question hey what happens when i want to communicate with my database how do i like how does this work and then just pull on the thread until you're led to some and that, that's that's personally how i learn as well like for example when i didn't understand like react i just built a poor man's react clone just to kind of get it um and that that's that's usually what i tell people and, and it works generally so far. But just to circle back to, to one thing you said about querying a database from the front end directly, um, 
I don't think that's a good idea uh, bec- because because you probably will have to authenticate and send a header or something um, for authorization, right? And this is not something you do on the front end because right. Um, yeah, yeah. Totally. I was probably I was probably being overly generous. I I, I was th- I wasn't thinking like write a SQL query. I was more like call a service that's doing your database management for you to give you the data you need. Yeah. But but even then you'd include your auth token um, on the client. So generally you would you would you know have a serverless function or something do that and you'd send your front end code to the function. Um, just the whole the whole thing is to obfuscate yeah, auth headers yeah. so that people can't like inspect your network tab and you know. Yeah. 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 You don't have to don't have to think about it at all. Um, yeah, so so is there um, like kind of kind of to to close the circle then? And when, when thinking about data, like data on the front end, uh, like from a data storage architecture, and then just like a data structure itself, like that we're using to read and write data. Do you think that those need to remain um, like kind of of the same shape or synonymous, uh, or, or or can we like start to separate those back? And these services can be storing data in a different way than we're thinking about it on the front end. Yeah, I think it can help a lot to maintain some type of homogeneity between them, right? Because then front-end engineers can be included in back-end discussions because there's there's overlap. So I think it can help companies and teams to speak the same language. This is why I really admire the work like Prisma is doing, for example, giving giving TypeScript engineers a really nice ORM um, because that's that's a back-end. Like ORMs have been around on the back-end for years before Prisma. Um, and so bridging that gap, I feel like will... It does so many things, right? Like it removes imposter syndrome to some degree from the front end engineers. It says, hey, look, now we speak the same language and it allows collaboration in, in, in ways that were impossible previously. So yeah, I, I for sure think like maintaining, um, how did you put it? Synonymousness is is is, is valuable. No, for sure. and that, like, whereas what's the alternative? Like there's a divergence, but then the divergence between teams and orgs even gets bigger. Um, and then ultimately the code gets le- gets less predictable. Therefore, we'll have scale problems. So no, I think I think synonymity is the way for sure. Yeah. Do you, do you think that kind of the presence of like GraphQL and, and Apollo, where it makes it easy to kind of like build up different data structures for the front end to consume from like disparate data sources in the back end that might not even have the same shape? Do you think that that is dangerous then? Like because it's so easy to like do transforms kind of through through that API layer? It, it depends, right? Like if, if you have, if you're using GraphQL as a, as a batch API, which a lot of people do, um, then then it's, it's valuable. And I mean, other than the developer experience, it's definitely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, valuable for the user experience, as opposed to doing like 17 different round, round trips to 17 different services. Um, so it, it's, it's, I think, just in terms of the value prop. But what I do think is really important, because GraphQL is not a front-end concern, Right, it, it, it's a front-end optimization to query a GraphQL API, but a GraphQL API itself is not a front-end concern. It's it's a it's a function slash middleware slash backend concern more than it is a UI like front-end concern. So, I still think having an ORM like Prisma or something on the front-end, um, and then having that be homogenous with your GraphQL API is super important. Um, but but then you know if your if your backend GraphQL API proxies to like seventeen different disparate services like you said that's that's entirely a backend thing so I don't think if, if that differs from what the front end people are doing I don't think it matters as long as there's one element on the backend and one element on the front end that speak the same 
I think it's fine. And that's that is the GraphQL server on the back end and the you know the Prisma RM on the front end. Um, yeah, I think there has there has to be overlap in semantics at 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 least one level on both sides for sure. So so in an organization, let's say where there is there is some kind of uh, separation of concerns between teams, right? Like there's the front end team and the back end team, and now this is this I'm sure this topic has kind of been beat to death, but like we have we have them if we're talking about this middle layer, who's who do you think should own that? Like should the front end developers be in charge of saying this is the shape I want the like GraphQL API to return? Or like you said, that the GraphQL API isn't really a front end concern in functionality. It's just how I get the data. So is that not it should that not be in their purview? If you draw a Venn diagram of front end and back end, like GraphQL is the intersect, right? So I think that can perfectly model even the team participation. So if you've got 10 front-end engineers, 10 back-end engineers, you could allocate one of them each to fill the middle of that Venn diagram. You know, um, it has to. It has to be a collaboration. Otherwise, otherwise it's going to get complicated. So yeah, I think in terms of resources, that middle layer is not as binary as the others. So I think we need at least one from both sides there. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I think. I think the yeah the collaboration. Definitely. It, it tends to happen there. That, that is the way it is. I was just, I was, I, I feel like one could make the argument just kind of given, given where we've gotten in our conversation, that should be the purview of like the front end, right? Like they, like they could use, you could use your, your schema that like Prisma spitting out and like, okay, well I generate my GraphQL types just based on the ORMs types. And then like that, that I just, we need the backend team to make sure that they can satisfy our requirements. But it just seems like an overly kind of optimistic or naive way to do it because the, Backend teams are going to have concerns about like performance and the way that 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 um, that layer is like querying the data. Exactly, and this is why you you can I think any team that just has one team be responsible for that is going to be in a lot of trouble. Um, yeah, because you, you can't separate those. Um, yeah, agreed. Well, I feel like we've covered a lot so far. Is there anything else kind of on this in this topic, or uh, you know, what, what you're what you're planning to cover in your in your upcoming talk that you wanted to, yeah, to I, touch on? Or I wanted about? to touch on the notion of like databaseless development, you know, like I think this is where it's going. Like a lot of people mm-hmm. talk about serverless and make jokes like, oh, but there are servers. Um, all the while, all the while not getting that it, it is it is serverless, like for you, the user, you literally don't provision or scale anything. And, and it's reduced to just an API usually. Um, I think we're headed more towards a databaseless world um, where other people manage and, and whatever your databases and you just get an API. Um, this is, I think it's, it's valuable for multiple reasons. We've talked about them already, but I think one of the biggest reasons is then being able to globally distribute and query your database from the edge, uh, from CDN edge. That's nuts. Like we see some users uh, of Zeta, for example, use something like Cloudflare workers to query their stuff. And they get these like ridiculously fast reads from their database, which unheard of in the past. So I think that's something. And I also think, you know, it's not just databases that are being hidden behind serverless implementations, but also like entire data infrastructures. Like, like we don't want to do this at Zeta, but we, we have the potential to have companies exist that just don't have ops teams at all. Um, because, or yeah, actually you, you don't need an ops team at all if you're a newer company, which reduces the barrier to entry. So anyone can start something. And if they use things like Vercel or Netlify, right, for their static sites and functions, ops team is not needed. 
but you would still need an ops team for your database until you know Zeta shows up and says, hey, we give you like the same thing that Vercel does, but for databases. And then it, it so I think, and, and what I mean by data infrastructure in this case is not just the database, but like at some point of scale, everyone needs and has a search engine, literally like Instagram, Reddit, you know, YouTube search is super important. So I'm talking about the concerns of like a database, a search engine, and some type of in-memory KV store, like these three things always go together. And so when I say like database list infrastructure, what I mean is all of that stuff becomes someone else's problem. And so then I can just like build an app that uses it and I don't have to worry about like sharding and indices and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. I think, yeah, like I, I, I totally feel that I, I, I am, I am that way myself. Like when I'm spinning up a new project, I try to like pull the, you know, like as, as little of that database ops work as I can, I like, now nah, I'll just, I'll find some service, like make it super easy. But I do feel that if, you know, you're a new company trying to get started, even if you don't have resources to dedicate an ops person to it, I, 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 I would theorize that many companies are still choosing to kind of manage a part of that database themselves. Either they're like spinning up a managed Postgres instance or whatever. They're spinning up a managed service somewhere to give them a database for fear of vendor lock-in, like at the database level and being unable to kind of adapt or, you know, make a change if they're running into an issue. What do you say to those companies that kind of have that that reservation? You Even like lock-in is one thing, but also just, you know, the basic notion of privacy. Um, you'll sign your contracts with whatever database service and they have, you know, terms in there, terms of service, like your data is yours, it belongs to you. Awesome. We do, we do that too. But like, you don't know, no, you know what I'm saying? Like you don't have physical access to the machine. So I think those reservations are super valid. Um, and for lock-in specifically, that's why what we're doing at Zata, and I think a lot of others may follow suit, I don't know, is we make it so easy for people to leave, like data exporters, because we don't really like we don't believe in holding people hostage. Like if, if you if you if you're happier at Planet Scale, then go use Planet Scale. We'll make it easy for you. Um, because and this is kind of getting philosophical. I even believe like in interpersonal relationships. Like if somebody's better friends with someone else and they don't want to be my friend anymore, then I have no reason to be like, no, stay with me, you know? Like just like go be happy. That's 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 all we want. Like go be happy. Yeah. So I think the concern of lock-in is super valid. Um, we as a company recognize that and we're trying to actually make it easy for people to leave. Um, and also, you know, having companies concerned about like who owns the data and so on, those are valid. And we try to make those concerns um, non-concerns. We try to massage them and say, hey, it's, you know, you should be super open about these things. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that's awesome. I think it's, it's super cool that you guys are like, making it easy to get data out. But my, I guess like my personal fear, like if I'm starting a big project and like looking at these tools or even like looking at Firebase or something, it's like, well, my architecture is like all of this engineering work I'm doing, even if it's, I'm, even if it's saving me a lot, I'm like, I'm saving time by committing to a certain like API shape, right? Like I, I'm, I'm making design decisions that are kind of beholden to the um, assumptions that I'm making about this service that I'm using. Like, is there, do you think there's, is, is there, are, are we missing maybe a layer of abstraction that may be helpful at some point to like make it swappable? Like, so I can pl- like find a different service provider to do this. If you, if, if, if lock-in is a real concern and it's even implement, it's introducing coupling right between your code and some vendor. I think it's an, it's an awesome idea to, to just have that Venn diagram GraphQL thing in the middle 
that you know your your app, all your front end and all your clients, which probably you're going to have way more clients than you are backends as a company. I'm talking about like net like iOS app, Android app, website, and and these clients speak to this single GraphQL API that then talks to whatever vendor you want, which you can then change out even. You can make it swappable. So I think, yeah, that's huge. And I think GraphQL is uniquely suited to do such a thing. Um, that's a really good point. I, I think more companies that are concerned about this should do that for sure. Yeah, I, I, I think people are aware of it, right? Like that's why these tools are crapping out. This is not like some big revelation. Like this is kind of what 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 people are thinking about. But um, yeah, it's, it's cool to see kind of vendors like ensuring that their products are are uh, swappable kind of in, in that regard to like, and like if, if you've done a little bit of work as an engineering team, like you can make it so your, you know, architecture isn't super beholden to our beholden to our like paradigm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for answering a couple of the tough questions there. I know I was kind of like getting into it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Any, anything upcoming, anything you want to plug? Um, um I'm excited about, um, a lot of conferences. So is that excited for Whatever for us, we um, we love we love kind of hanging out with developers. Actually, DevRel is one of our biggest pillars on which we're trying to build a company because, like, we're not doing anything new. Um, we're just wrapping existing tried and tested things: Postgres, Elasticsearch, DynamoDB, and and the name of the game for Zada is developer experience, right? Like, we just want it to feel like premium. We want to give you a nice white glove database experience while taking all the the shit out of it, and we do it ourselves. Um, so that's yeah, so it's developer communities. We're going to be at um, React Amsterdam, um, Cascadia JS. There's a whole there's a whole bunch. Um, but yeah, what I did want to plug is is Sada. Uh, we care about developer experience, and we're all about giving developers the most premium and best developer experience with data databases and data infrastructures we can. So um, we're in private beta. If you wanna if you want us to hook you up, we can. And so that's that's my, that's my only plug. Nice. Nice, awesome, cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll there'll be a link in the show notes for sure. Um, yeah, thank you, thank you for joining me today. I appreciate it. Like, this has been an awesome conversation. Usually, we're not able to kind of get in the weeds to this degree. So, yeah, this has been great. Thank you, man. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Pod Rocket. You can find us at PodRocketPod on Twitter, and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks!